Hello, I'm Stephanie Ruff. And I'm Aviva Nabeski. We're the hosts of the Dressage Today podcast, where you can find us talking about anything and everything dressage related. Our conversations span the world of dressage from leading riders to local level dressage heroes. We're talking training advice, showing tips, and sharing stories to inspire your own dressage journey. So tune in, then tack up. Welcome everyone to the Dressage Today podcast. We are so glad you're back. And Aviva, I'm very excited that you came back too. How are you doing? I'm doing great. This has been a very exciting startup, and I can't wait for us to keep going. I know, me either. We're we're happy to say we've gotten some good feedback thus far. Anyway, that's the. Po- I'm hearing a lot of positive stuff too. People really enjoyed the interview with Janet Foy. It was very good of her to spend so much time with you. It is, yes. So you know, but equally, I'm also excited for today's episode. Um, because later we will have an interview with the International Grand Prix competitor and trainer, Shannon Duick. And oh, how exciting. Yes, that'll be great. Oh, and that's marvelous. We have your segment, of course, Ask the L. Uh, but first, uh, we thought since last time we introduced ourselves, I thought that maybe today we could talk a little bit about our horses because everybody wants to hear about horses. And so you can go first, Aviva. Who do you have in your barn? Well, I have a very small barn. I have a six-stall barn. Um, Three of the horses are my retired competition horses, and then I have um, one riding horse and then a couple of border horses as well. Um, who Who would you like to hear about? Well, let's. I I think I think Leo is your horse, right? Leo is is my quote riding horse. Is your quote? <laughs> Leo Leo is a very special boy. Um, I got Leo from my very dear friend and small R dressage judge Phoebe Devoe. Um, he was bred down near you. He was bred in Florida by Juliana Wittenberg at Flying Lion Farm, and I got Leo when he was four. And he is by Pablito out of a um, West Fallon mare. I don't know the West Fallon line, so forgive me all of those who have Westphalian horses. I apologize. Um, but he, um, his, his registered name is Pantaleon FLF, and he's probably the prettiest horse I've ever seen in my life. I tell people that if you were a human being, his name would be Justin and he'd be the lead singer in a boy band. (laughs) He's just pretty, but he's very, very tricky. Um, I think I've told your listeners already or our listeners already that I'm going to be 63 next month. And um, Leo was supposed to be my last horse. And Leo was supposed to be the horse that took me into the FEI ring. And, you know, there's one thing we have to say for horses is that they do keep us humble. They do. And they do um, things their own way in their own time, and we just have to accommodate them. And I have a feeling that Leo and I are never going into the show ring, but we are having lots of fun learning how to do stuff together. Um, He's schooling pretty much all of the third and fourth level work, with the exception of the flying change, which for some reason he has decided is... Um, not something that he needs to do. <laughs> and at my old age, I'm not willing to ride through some of the bucks that we've been experiencing. So we've kind of put that on the back burner. So that's, that's Leo okay. in a nutshell. Yeah. 
I, I hear you. No, horses horses have a tendency to not follow the schedule we want to set for them. Not even a little bit. You know, I, I got him and he was absolutely fabulous and wonderful. And I took him to his first licensed competition and Phoebe was there and her assistant trainer, Claudia, um, was there and Charlotte who's got him started on the ground was there and Juliana was there and I was going to go win high score of the show <laughs> because he was amazing and we got to the showgrounds and Leo had a major meltdown and literally hand walking him he would throw himself on the ground he oh was so goodness. overstimulated and what's really scary is that he does that under saddle too Right. So, yeah, so I'm not quite sure what happened. He'd been to a schooling show and did great, but something about the big show was just a little bit too much for his little pea brain, and he doesn't like other horses. And so when we go for lessons and there's another horse in the ring, he has a little meltdown until they leave. Um, he and wants that works to be in the... lessons, but it doesn't work in, at shows because everybody stays. That's very true. But, you know, he just <laughs> wants to be the center of attention. I guess that must be it. That's that lead singer thing. You know, That's it's right. all about him. That's so, right. But he is a lovely horse and he's super fun to ride. And he has taught me so much that I think make me a better instructor. Uh, make me a better trainer and hopefully make me a better judge as well. It has certainly um, taught me a little bit more patience than I ever thought I wanted. Um, and he continues to work on my patience levels every day. There you go. So, so tell me about, I know your mare, your beautiful mare. Tell me a little bit about what's going on with her. Yeah, well, she's she's a little bit s similar to that. Um, my, my main horse, I have two, but my main horse is Nadia. She is a 15-year-old Arabian Dutch warm blood cross. Um, but in uh, attitude and temperament, she's all Arabian. She is also a bit of a prima donna, and um, she likes to be the center of attention. So, and, and like Leo, she gets very stressed out at horse shows because she's the kind of horse that always has to know what's going on with everyone everywhere. You know, yes. she, she and so... At a show, same thing, kind of overstimulated. Now, she does not throw herself on the ground, I will say that. Um, That's good. <laughs> that, that is good, yes. She just gets very inattentive because she's trying to pay attention to everything, <laughs> except for me. Well, well, yeah, something exciting <laughs> might be happening. <laughs> so showing her, you know, I haven't shown her a whole lot. That's been a bit of a challenge as well. And um, But so similarly, kind of like you, I've been... You know, she, she still, I love that mare to death. I have known her since the time she was a baby. She actually was bred by a very good friend of mine, Michelle Morgan in Texas. And I first saw her as a foal by her mother's side. I was there, oh. I was the, I have pictures. Um, I was there taking, I was there uh, working for Michelle and was out in the field, walking the fields of mares and foals. And, you know, she came, Nadia, came right up to me. She was like, hello, how are you? Look at me. I'm beautiful. And she has that, <laughs> she has that attitude to this day. She's always wanting people to look at her and pet her and tell her how beautiful she is. So, um, yeah, so I was actually smitten with her from that moment on, but it wasn't until she was about eight 
that I uh, actually bought her. She was for sale for a long time, but I kept saying no, kept saying no for various reasons. Um, and then finally, nobody ever bought her because she is a little bit hot. She's a little sensitive. She's a little opinionated, but I just loved her. So I finally, you know, it was like, yeah, of course I have it to It was buy meant her. to be. It was meant to be. I just didn't get on board as fast as I probably should have, but <laughs> that's okay. So, you know, we're kind of... Yeah, you know, we, we we are getting a decent flying change now. I know the last time you saw her, it wasn't quite as good, but... Um, oh, that's great news. But I finally decided, you know, the only way I'm going to get it is if I try and work on it. And it yeah. might not be perfect every time, but we still have to practice it. Yes, practice makes perfect. Yeah, so I got over my fear of doing it wrong and just was like, okay, let's just work on it. And now she has a pretty good change. Oh, I'm so pleased to hear that. Yeah. Because she really is a lovely, lovely mare. And, you know, everything in in the third level, she was doing so well. And that was just a challenge for her. Yes. Now she knows it. Now she gets very hot. And now she wants to anticipate it. And, you know, all those sorts of things. So <laughs> that's okay. Those are, those are, once they understand it, then it's a little bit easier to, to control it. Yes. And, you know, it's, it's. It's just that she's happy to know how to do something. It's so fun. (laughs) Exactly. That's right. So yeah, that's that. I it's it's an okay problem problem to have. I'm okay with it. Good. Um, But um, yeah. So and then my other horse is a little six year old purebred Arabian who is very quiet and kind of you know she she's much quieter than my half Arab and. it's so funny. And both mares. <laughs> and they are both mares. I love mares. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about that more, you know, as we go. Well, I think but... it's I think it's ironic because I prefer mares too, and I prefer chestnut mares, and I don't have a single mare in my barn. Well, there you go. You just need to go find a mare. That's that's what needs to happen. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. But um, she's probably going to be kind of more of a pleasure horse. She's not in a hurry to go anywhere. She's sort of a stop and smell the roses kind of girl. She's also very pretty and likes to be told that, and, and she's very personable. So she's a good girl. She just is kind of, so right now she's just sort of going out on the trails and kind of learning how to just do your basic things. But um, so we'll see what happens with her. But she's she's a good girl. She's just probably not, dressage is not really her thing, though, I can tell. <laughs> Although it does improve absolutely everything else that she might do. You are very correct in that aspect. So, yes. What What does she want to do? I think she wants to trail ride. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, many years ago, um, I, I was interviewed for the Washington Post about dressage and why it was perceived as such an elitist sport and what it really is. And we talked about the fact that you know, dressage is good for everything, even trail horses, because you need to be able to have a horse that moves off your leg so that you can get around a tree that's in your way or to open a gate. That's exactly right. So, And yeah. you, you need horses that are on your aids that can be straight or that can be crooked, that listen to you when you know there's something going on. So don't, don't, don't write her off yet as far as a dressage mount. (laughs) No, no, I won't. But she's, you know, she's, she's happy out on the trail and, and, and I'm a believer in doing what makes the horse happy and, you know, not forcing them into a discipline that, that they aren't happy in. So we'll see, we'll see what she does, but. 
Um, and um, so hopefully as time goes by, we can share some stories and updates of, of our riding adventures with our horses. And, and uh, you know, because I'm sure I'm sure there are many people out there that go through the same struggles that we do. Oh, yeah. I mean, I technically I'm considered a professional because I teach, but I consider myself an adult amateur when it comes to riding. When you start when you're as old, were as old as I was, it, you know, you just never have the the years in the saddle and the years of experience that somebody who started with as a kid does. Right. So I may have really studied dressage, but that doesn't mean it's come easily for me. <laughs> And everything that I've gotten has been through sheer unmitigated hard work. And Leo has been the hardest of all. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> Last month, we premiered our new segment, Ask the L. Um, where Aviva is giving, going to give some tips and insider advice. And we have already received some great feedback from it. And we have a list of questions that our listeners want to have answered. So in today's podcast and in future podcasts, Aviva will answer a couple of them. And um, if you don't hear your question today, please come back again, because chances are you'll hear it in a future podcast. And of course, we always welcome more questions because I'm sure there are more out there. So feel free to email me at sruff at equinenetwork.com or feel free to reach out on Dressage Today's social media. So today's question comes from Katie and it's, it's a little bit of a two-parter sort of. What are your thoughts, Aviva? about mm -hmm. the level that people compete at versus the level they are schooling or are skilled at. In other words, do you show below the level you're schooling, at the level you're schooling, or reaching and trying a test that you might not be really able to put together yet? You know, that's such an outstanding question. And I, I get that from a lot of my students. And I'm not gonna give a definitive answer. I'm going to answer that by asking a question back to the riders, which is, why are you going to the show? And are you going to a schooling show? Will your coach be with you? Are you going to a licensed competition? So if you're going to a licensed competition, they're really, really expensive. So the chances are, if you're doing that, you have something to prove and there's something that you want to accomplish. And you should probably be showing at a level below where you're schooling because you want to go out and you want to shine. I had a trainer who used to say to me, if I'm not going to win, I don't want to go. So that's sort of the attitude about a licensed competition. You want to go out and you want to be competitive. You want to do well. You want to be in the ribbons. You want people to say, wow, that horse is awesome. It's a perfect first level horse. It's a perfect training level horse, whatever level it is, it's a perfect horse for that level. I remember sitting with um, S. Judge Ken Barbosa one year, scribing for her, and a horse came in and wrote a second level test and got a huge score. And at the end of the test, Ken turned to me and she said, that was such a joy to judge. That horse was a perfect second level horse. That horse wasn't struggling to do any of the movements. 
and that horse wasn't quite ready to go on to third level. It was just where it needed to be. So I think about that when I think about going out to licensed competition. Um, unless you have a lot of money to burn, because we all know how expensive showing is now. Unless you have a lot of money to burn, you're probably better off going out with the intention of winning. On the other hand, if you're going to a schooling show, the operative word in schooling show is, to me, is schooling. So if you don't have a flying change and you go out to show third level, you're sort of setting yourself up to fail. You know, we all know that, right? Because you got to have a flying change at third level. On the other hand, if you know you don't have a, th a flying change, but you think you've got everything else at third level, you think you've got the half passes, you think you've got the level of collection, you think you've got the difference between a medium and extended gate, and you just want some feedback from a judge that you respect, then for 25 or $30 to go out and ride a third level test, knowing that you're going to get killed on the flying change movement, maybe that's appropriate. Depends on what you're looking for. If you're working at something at home and you're having a difficult time with it, you know you're going to have a difficult time in the show ring. I usually tell my students that whatever you're doing at home, you're probably only going to get about 50% of that in the show ring. So if you want to know what the 50% is that you're going to lose, sometimes it's not a bad idea to go out and say you're schooling first level. Go out and show a first level test. What's going to fall apart? Is it going to be the throughness? Is it going to be the suppleness? Is it going to be your transitions from the working to the lengthened gates? Is the leg yield going to be the thing that falls apart for you? This is a great way for you to figure out what you're still really struggling with that you need to understand better and your horse does as well. So my long answer <laughs> is ask yourself why you're going to the show and then pick the level which is going to best give you those answers. If you're all about the ribbons and there is absolutely nothing with that and you're schooling second level at home, but you really like those blue ribbons and you really like those high score awards, go out and show some training level and really shine and feel good about yourself and feel good about your horse and get those ribbons and go home and be excited about it and maybe next time push yourself a little bit harder and try first level. So hopefully that answers your question, Katie. Um, and hopefully that answers the question that I know so many other riders have about where do you show? Well, that's really great insight and advice, Aviva. Um, I've been known to do a little of all of that. And I kind yeah. of have followed exactly that advice when I was showing it at the um, higher or, you know, license shows and that sort of thing. Yeah, I was definitely showing below where I was schooling so mm -hmm. that, yeah, because you do want to do well, but yes, I've, I've stretched it and you've seen it. I've stretched it a little bit doing schooling opportunities because yeah, I wanted the feedback and how to improve on where I'm at. So that's, that is excellent that's, advice. And the other thing to remember is that most of the judges out there want to see you be successful. Yeah. And if you go to a schooling show and you're really stretching, most judges are not going to say to you, you have no business being at this level. They're going to say, there are certainly some challenges for you at this level. This is a stretch for you and your horse. 
most judges aren't going to be mean. And if you are able to talk to the judge after the test and you're able to say, I know I'm not really ready to be at this level, but I just wanted to get a feel for how the test flowed and where I was good and where I needed work, the judge is really going to want to support you and help you because, you know, we're, we're all so nervous when we go in the show ring and it's hard to remember that judges, we're all competitors too. And most judges really do want to see you succeed. So remember that the judge is your ally, not your enemy. <laughs> that is that is also important advice. Thank you. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. And I have to remind myself of that as well when I go down center line. Yep. Because, you know, the thing about riding is there's so much ego that's involved. But everyone has had a bad day. Everyone has a story. Um you know, my, my very first show ever, my horse didn't step out of the arena. My horse was not even in the arena yet and went through the entire chain and took out the arena before the whistle blew. Nice. So, you know, we've all been there. We've all had embarrassing moments. And what one judge said to me after a particularly horrific schooling show, first level test, was you know what, turn the clock back and then move it forward again and just forget that this ever happened <laughs> and move forward from here because the next time is going to be better. That That is good advice, <laughs> yes. So we, we look forward to um, next our, in our next uh, podcast having even more great advice from you. Oh, thank you. Remember, it's just my advice. Your trainer might not agree, but this is this is this is my opinion, and and that's why you're paying me the big bucks to be here. That's right, Stephanie? right. That's exactly <laughs> right. And well, I did see we got some wonderful, wonderful questions, and I've been thinking a little bit about everybody's questions, and I I have. I have answers for everyone. So I'm looking forward to our, our next chapter. Yeah. So next time you'll have, everyone will have to tune in and see what you talk about next. Sounds good. So we're going to take a quick break, but when we return, we will have an interview with international Grand Prix competitor and trainer, Shannon Duick. Smart packs are a simple foolproof way to make sure your horse always gets the right supplements. All you have to do is choose the supplements that your horse needs and SmartPak will pack them in convenient, customized daily doses that make feeding time fast and easy. And SmartPaks aren't just easier for you, they're better for your horse too, because they come in pre-measured doses, are clearly labeled, and sealed for freshness. There's never any doubt that your horse is getting the absolute best. Smart packs are not only better for your horse, but also better for the environment. Unlike most buckets, smart packs are made from 100% recycled PET plastics and can be recycled again. Visit smartpack.com or call 1-800-461-8898 to learn more about how smart pack can help you take great care of your horse today. Born in Austin, Texas, Shannon Duick grew up outside of Vancouver, Canada. Her mother, Jacqueline Oldham, was an S-judge in both Canada and the U.S. and instilled in Shannon a love and knowledge of classical dressage from an early age. 
She furthered her education with a bachelor's degree in animal science at the University of British Columbia and a master's degree in equine nutrition and exercise physiology from Texas A&M. After competing through the intermediate level of eventing, Shannon turned her focus exclusively to dressage. She trained her first real dressage star, Corona, from the beginning. The partnership competed successfully at the Grand Prix level for many years and won an individual silver medal at the Pan Am Games in 1999. Shannon has trained many horses and riders through the FEI levels and is currently bringing along several young prospects. When she can, she travels to England to train with Olympic gold medalist Carl Hester. And currently, she and her husband live full-time in Wellington, Florida. First of all, Shannon, thank you so much for joining us today on the Dressage Today podcast. I just wanted to- Very pleased to be here. (laughs) It's really fun for me to do this. Well, it's fun for us as well. It's always wonderful to talk to so many fantastic people. Um, my first question for you is a simple one, certainly. How did you get involved in horses and in dressage? Well, I was, I was really lucky. Um, I, my mom, well, first of all, my grandpa was, had horses in Alberta, and I think they did like saddlebreds, and they had those massive show saddles, and he had these beautiful Palomino saddlebreds. My mom grew up riding on ranches in Alberta, Canada. We're well, Canadian. And um, then she had to quit riding when she was a young mother, went to university and was a young mother. And then she got back into it as soon as she possibly could. And so I was super lucky that I had a mother who was so horse crazy. And she actually bought, brought dressage to Western Canada or was very influential in bringing dressage to Western Canada. And um, she ended up um, she was an S judge, dressage judge for both Canada and the United States. So um, I, I had great, great inspiration from her. My dad, uh, they bought a farm out in Langley, which is outside of Vancouver, which is like the center of horsemanship now for Western Canada. And um, so I was really lucky to grow up on a little horse farm. So then, so you got involved in dressage then from a young age. Well, yes. And I, my mom, I had really, really good theory because my mom was so into it. I read all the books and I think, but my theory was much better than my actual ability Ah. (laughs) because I jumped. I loved jumping and I loved eventing. So um, yes, my theory was good, but putting it into practice was not so good when I was a young. I was a crazy event rider and I went through pony club. I got my pony club a, um, and I, it was, I was decent at dressage on a good dressage horse, but my event horses and I were not (laughs) very good. (laughs) So yes, I got started, but I did not get good at it till later. Well, and so obviously your mother was a huge influence um, on you, but, but then as you got more and more into the dressage, did you have other uh, mentors or other people that were a large influence on you? Absolutely. And you know how, how it often is. Uh, Mom had a hard time teaching me and sure. I had a hard time 
taking instruction from her. So of I was, course. I was super lucky. We were again in Langley, which was, while not Wellington, it was a big, um, a big horse place. So I had lessons uh, when I was young. Pam Arthur was a top advanced level event rider that was pretty influential in my younger years in developing my event riding. And uh, Dietrich von Hofgarten was also there and he was really a classical dressage trainer. Mm -hmm. So those two, when I was younger, were most influential in my development as a rider. Um, and it wasn't till later that I can say that I really, really got serious about dressage. And I got serious about dressage because my last event horse, I mean, I was serious about representing Canada at the upper levels of eventing and I was very brave and had really good horses when I was young, but then I had to go to university and give it up. My last event horse that I got off the racetrack when I was in um, graduate school, he, he was super and I got him to prelim and he did everything fast and clear prelim. And then I didn't have enough guts to go intermediate anymore. So um, I was taking dressage lessons from a fellow named Bert Rutten from Holland, from the Netherlands. And he's a, uh, he was in the Olympics when he was a young man. Um, he's been the national trainer for Holland uh, and a, a big um, influence on the breeding in Holland. Anyway, he's an amazing rider. And he would have been my biggest influence in, in teaching me really what dressage was about. And I was lucky and was a working student for him after I sold my last event horse because I realized he was better than I was going to ever be at the upper levels again in eventing. So I went to Bert and I think I trained with Bert Rutten for about 11 years. And I was at his place without horses and with horses on and off through all that time. And one of the things that I will always, always be grateful to him for, he let me ride his international Grand Prix stallion, who was also an amazing breeding stallion, whose name was Clavisimbal. And he let me be, Clavisimbal was my professor when I was there. <laughs> um, and what a professor he was. So that he taught me the feel I watched Bert ride. He taught me what it looked like. And then I could gradually put the two things together. Yeah. So having the two, um, having that horse as a Grand Prix schoolmaster <laughs> was the luckiest and most generous thing that Bert did um, for me. I was so grateful for that. Uh, I've had, I've, I've been lucky to be down here in Wellington. So I've had the opportunity to work with some great, great people. And Robert Dover, trained me for quite a while here. Lars Peterson has been influential. But most recently in 2011, I got to go over and train with Carl Hester with my Grand Prix Marisha. Mm -hmm. And since then, I can count him as my, as my big trainer, Carl. And what's funny is that I met Carl at Burt's when I was a working student there. <laughs> and Burt was the trainer of the British team. And Carl came over and so it was really really funny that now he's my trainer and I feel immensely lucky that I can count him as my trainer and my coach I don't get nearly as many lessons as I want to but I'm working on getting over there next year again because I have another up-and-coming Grand Prix horse now mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no, that's, that's another one of those examples of it's a small world and things come full circle. I know, right? <laughs> what is it about the horses and the sport that has kept you involved for so long? What is it about the horses and the sport? Um, I have to say, well, you know, it's like any horse crazy person. I'm crazy about them. I knew it when I was three that I it was, it's always been in my life and it's always been a necessary thing in my life. Um, the only time I've been without them is when I was in my undergraduate in university. And then my summer jobs were always with horses. So as a child too, they were a place where I could, it's a, it's a, the barn's an escape. And I was, I had the farm at home. So I would get up and do all the stalls and all the horses in the morning before going to school. It's a great, I really can credit the, my horses helping me through my teenage years and keeping me, I, I had to stay relatively sane, you know, and with all the stuff that goes on as a teenager, mm -hmm. I, because I had horse shows and I had goals and I had, I had responsibilities that I had to take care of these animals and I couldn't go, um, you know, how a lot of girls, I, I think I might've been quite naughty right I had not had the horses and the responsibility of them but I that would never felt like it was a responsibility because I loved them so much right um and you know when when you're getting bullied or whatever from other kids or feeling like you're no good from the teenage angst and then the horses change all that for you mm -hmm. it is still a place of healing for me going out to that barn and I've all I've had my own place again so I'm out doing night check every night and it is my, it's absolutely magic every single night that I go out there to be able to have all these horses and they're all so affectionate and they're so beautiful and they're, it's amazing to have these great beasts that love you or I think they do anyway. I like <laughs> They, they love the treats that you bring them. That's, that's for sure. Love the hugs too. They do. Um, but then the other thing is, of course, the sport dressage is something that, I, I mean, we can keep going until, until we die and not know everything. So it's a remarkable thing that I can get on these horses and it's a, almost a new thing that I can learn every day, even if it's a minuscule thing that I can learn from them and learn about my riding and learn about training. So it's never, although I really thought when I was a teenager eventing that it was really boring. It's not at all. <laughs> we, we just all have to kind of get there in our lives. We have to, <laughs> yes. we have to mature enough to appreciate it in yeah, a way, appreciate right? the small things. And, I, yeah. and they, sometimes they're huge what you learn right. and they're huge groundbreaking things that you can learn in your field or, and now that rarely happens with me but still there's small things that you go oh no that's even a little bit better and when I did right. that that helped that horse and you know individual horses have different needs so I'm still learning and I love it and so you mentioned a few of the the horses but um yeah can you tell us a little bit about the the horses in your life that have kind of influenced you the the most and what they were like and how they helped you in your you know through your life oh well, when I was younger my my first really good event horse 
Um, her name was Happily, and we got her for $500. And my parents said that if I wanted to have Happily, then I had to sell the piano. <laughs> that wasn't a very hard decision. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, because I, and that Happily was an amazing horse. She was, um, the full sister to one of the Canadian show jumping team members and just so athletic and so brave this mare, but she had had a terrible trailer accident and the owners had thought that they were gonna have to put her down because she had torn her hind legs up so badly. Um, so she was so scarred over her hind legs. The owners had decided they were gonna keep her and heal her up. And then that's why we got her for such an amazing deal. And that mare never took a lame step and got me to intermediate with never a fault that I think I fell off once in a water jump, but that mare never, ever thought about stopping or she was so athletic and she was so brave that she made me brave. I had no idea mm -hmm. to be fearful when you have <laughs> amazing horse underneath you. Now our dressage was appalling. <laughs> Um, but it didn't matter in those days. In those days, we could go from last to second or third or even first sometimes in a big class by being so fast and clear cross country. Right. Nowadays, everybody's so good at everything. I don't think you can do that so yeah. often. Yeah. In those days, it, it, we could be really appalling at dressage and still do okay. <laughs> um, so she was probably my best event horse that I had but the second one I got off the racetrack he was a off the quarter horse track in Texas when I was doing my grad work didn't look like a quarter horse at all he was 16 three looked like a thoroughbred and so he obviously didn't do well on the quarter horse racetrack <laughs> right so I got him and he's the one that opened the door to dressage for me because he's the one who again was so brave cross country and I learned that I could no longer do and intermediate I walked the first intermediate course and went the double the double corners was so big and I said I'm going to start riding you badly so he and I sold him as an event horse and I enabled enabled me to buy my first three-year-old from Bert Rutten mm -hmm. it was a three-year-old named Case and Case changed my life in dressage so good thing I was still brave in those days because Case was wild as a youngster but um, he got Case and I went all the way through to the International Grand Prix. We got we won Pan Am Silver individual, did the World Cup, did the World Championships, did the European Championships, showed all over Europe. He was an amazing, amazing horse. Wow. Um, so that, John, I have to mention Johnny, the quarter horse, because he enabled me to get Case. <laughs> so Case was, Case was it. Case was the, the game changer for me. Um, since then, I've had a number of horses that I've brought along to Grand Prix, and I really wish now I knew what I know now about developing an, a Grand Prix horse when I had Case, because I think about how good he was, and that was despite me learning <laughs> on him how to do that, right. and how I think the horse was better than he showed, because I was still... So I still didn't really know what I was doing. I remember being on him at the Grand Prix level and all of a sudden having a light bulb about what the shoulder in actually does for a horse. Instead of it just being a movement, you mm -hmm. start to feel oh, that's what it does, collection and suppleness wise. And so things like that, um, he could have 
been, I think the horse could have easily been in the seventies in the Grand Prix if I'd known, but, and we, we got into 70 international, but not routinely. Right. I think he would have been, a t- I mean, he was a top horse at the time. He could be even better nowadays if I had known what I don't know. And then Asia was my next really good international horse. And she was a mare that I bought as a sales horse doing second level as a six-year-old. And she had a nice trot. So I bought her as a sales horse. She wasn't expensive. And then after riding her for six months, I said, well, what happens if I just close you up and ask you to do a couple things like Piaf? And she just her hind leg mechanics were so good she just went oh like this you pee off like this <laughs> and I had another horse that was almost grown free at the time that didn't find it as easy he had the ones and the passage and the piaf was not as easy the pirouettes were not as easy and I said well I think I'll sell him and keep Asia because she was just like yeah like this I can do that so she was fantastic got she's the one that I took over to Carl in 2011 mm-hmm. And we went, we showed her all over Europe and here and had a great time. And now I've got a couple new young ones that I've brought a, a number of horses up to the Grand Prix for other people. I always think it's a good thing. I've got one of my own right now and he's just breaking into the Grand Prix. Um, I love having my own horses because then I can, at least one that I'm riding for myself, then I can decide if I'm going to sell them or if I really want to just keep investing and keeping them and I love them. So um, I have Wesley who's as you wish and I just adore the horse. And then luckily, amazingly, I have Aisha's baby. Um, Aisha had one foal and mm. by Franciscus who Ingrid Klimka rides. And Angel is now six years old this year and I own one leg along with <laughs> Three other wonderful ladies who are um, really thrilled to watch her develop. And she's got the same hind leg as Aisha, such talent. You, wow. you said, as a four-year-old, I said, well, what happens when you do this? And she went, oh, can I do this? It's like, is that called Piaf? Okay. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, those are the horses that I would say are the most influential. Okay. So then, you know, you talked about, obviously you're bringing some young ones along. Um, what, what sort of traits do you look for in a dressage prospect? Um, um, most, okay. I wrote this down and obviously there's more than this, but these would be the things that I would look at first and foremost, um, for good legs and feet, they have to stay sound. So you don't start with something that's crooked. Um, then I think along with that, the uphill, the natural tendency to be uphill, can make, if, you, if you're looking for a Grand Prix horse, having the uphill tendency is a really good thing. It makes things easier for the horse. And uphill is not just croup to, to withers, but a lot of it is the neck placement, that the neck comes out high in the chest and mm-hmm. instead of down low, if it comes out high in the chest, it's easier to get the shoulder sling and the withers to come up and over the, over the horse's neck. So that is, pretty important that whole part of the horse's body if you are looking at doing um more upper level stuff the length of the neck is important right now the as my as you wish horse has a little bit of a short neck naturally um which is a bit of a challenge but we work with that and then the angel horse has a little bit of a long neck naturally so we work with that but 
it's something to think about. The, if you have a good neck, we have to just maintain the good neck as you work them through. If you have a difficult, more difficult neck, you have to work with that as you're trying to work with classical principles. Um, another thing, and I know you've heard this from numerous people, three good gates, a clear walk, a clear good trot, and a clear good canter. They do not have to be fantastic. If you're a good trainer, you can enhance the gates. Um, especially the trot, you can really enhance the trot, mm -hmm. but you can enhance the counter, you can help the walk and, or you can make them worse, but you really can improve the basic gates. Um, but the canter and the walk are harder. So I'm not going to get a horse that naturally canters four beat downhill. That would probably not be on my prospect list. Right. And then Temperament is also getting important. I've ridden lots of crazy horses in my life and that, you know, I'm getting older. So it, what we really want for temperament, we want them calm, but you still want to have a little bit of blood in there. So they have to have some curiosity. They can't be dull. Um, and then, you know, a lot of horses, we need them to have a work ethic. We can instill a work ethic with really good training, but it's nice when they actually want to be out there playing with you in right. the sandbox because they they have to do a lot of 20 meter circles. <laughs> have you seen much of a change in the horses and riders over the years that you've you've been doing this? Oh yes, definitely. Um, I think that well, we all know the horses have got much more modern and tight. Yeah. Um, not I, I see a lot of heavier type horses though out there now again. Um, I think that pendulum is swinging back into normal. Um, things got really, really refined, really um, spider leggy where, you know, the legs are flinging around all over the place. And I think we've come back from that to straighter, more controlled movement that is still spectacular. That's still spectacular. It's just not quite as wild and flingy. Um, so they're, they're, they really had a pendulum swing to that in the breeding. And now we're getting into, okay, that was a little too much. Now you're getting horses that are moving for gates for nines naturally. And yet they're still strong enough and straight enough and square enough with good enough feet that they can, with good training, you can preserve that. With horses, you know, they're a little bit more modern in their temperament too. So they take a slightly more, they'll take a more sensitive rider. Um, you know, some of the older, colder horses, you really had to be strong with them to, to train them. And now I think these horses are a little bit more sensitive. So the riders have to be a little bit more feeling in it. But so that increases a little difficulty in the training, but what makes, it easier is that the gates are so good so that the riders trainers nowadays often don't have to enhance the gates much what their job is is more to preserve the gates mm -hmm. while they're training up through the levels so and i think the i think the riding and training has really improved it's really really improved there was you know the huge controversy years ago about the beginning of roll curve um and that is less of a thing now. And I think what happened with that is also, it was the, the beginning of riders really starting to go, oh, we need these horses more supple. And 
then it went a little bit down the wrong path. And now the trainers that I know of, all of them that are good, they are training for more suppleness, but without the extremes that we saw. And so you know, I actually think the overall training of the horses as an athlete and as a gymnast is better. And a lot of that is that we're, we get to see so many good riders, so many good trainers, so many good horses mm-hmm. on the internet and, and, on, on, um, and live down here in Wellington that it transfers through to better training overall. So that's a good thing. <laughs> it's a good thing. Yeah. I really do think that, you know, from what I, yeah, no, we're better than we were when I was, um, when I was first out on the international dressage scene. That kind of moves into a little bit. Could you talk to us a little about your own training philosophy? I'm sure everybody says, oh, I like to train classically with a modern bench or something like that. <laughs> but um, I, so I thought, well, what am I going to say that's any different? And then I went, okay, I actually do have a training philosophy and it's not just dressage that this training philosophy is. This is just horsemanship and good training, regardless of what you're doing. And I, what I, I, I love working with babies. I love bringing horses all the way along from the very beginning. That means that the horses that I'm riding at the Grand Prix are really my horses, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, it, and one of the biggest things that I would say in the train for correct training is that you can do one step at a time and you try really hard while you're pushing. Cause if you're not pushing, you're not going anywhere. But you try really hard while you're pushing, never to overface the horse and make the de- make the task something that is too difficult for them mentally or physically. That is super important. So one step at a time, and then if you can do that and you can feel the horse understanding what I'm asking at a lower level, under really understanding that because I've been very good about rewarding, I've been clear and consequential with my aids. And when the horse reacts correctly, I reward. Um, then you can start to layer and get more complicated on, on top of that. And then you don't have the horse having the difficulty mentally or physically with as you go up the levels. And my horses can go up the levels quite quickly that way, but it's still really, really incremental. So what I would say with is that I, we, of course, all know this basics, 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 always the basics make the more complex things beautiful. And I do not drill movements. I just don't drill movements. There is no way that I would do eight half passes in a, in a row. Yeah. There, what I have learned is that you make the basic quality good, and then you do one half pass. And you figure out in that one half pass, what of the basic qualities did I lose? And then you work that and then you Mm -hmm. might do another half pass or you might wait until tomorrow to do that again. Mm -hmm. So you just don't drill the movements. That makes horses sour and it makes them sore. Um, And we all know this is, and my, you know, a lot of my riders get a little bit, they get a little bit frustrated because they're like, well, can't we just (laughs) do more? I'm like, no, because it's not quality work if the horse is not correct in the basics. So we always go back to the basics and then we push the next, and then we come back, whatever basics we lost, mm. we come back and get it so that you can have the horse correctly 
going from the hind leg over the back, over the neck to the bit confidently through the work as it gets more and more complex. Um, we need really, you know, there's, there is no book that the horses read. We as trainers have to respond to the individual horse and train for the individual horse, whether that horse, you know, needs more suppleness or that horse needs to be stronger at something like he needs time to get stronger. Does he, this horse need to be ridden rounder? Does this horse need to be ridden more uphill? Does this need, horse need more work on straightness or does this horse need more work on bend? Um, you have to be able to deal with the individual as you go up the levels. And of course, the more horses you get on, the more individual horses, difficult, easy, big, small, supple, strong, whatever, the better you can do this, the better you can respond to the individual horses. So this is why we, you know, we say it takes two lifetimes to get really good at this because you really have to ride a bunch of horses to be yeah. able to do. Yeah. So that's my training philosophy. There you go. It's not, it's very um, individualized, I think, but also the whole thing about doing things incrementally and when a horse, when a horse gets overwhelmed, my, my Wesley, the one that his name's As You Wish and was just breaking into the Grand Prix stuff, he really had a hard time with learning how to sit in the pirouettes and really now he's really learning what he has to do in the piaf. He's spectacular in going sideways. He's spectacular in his extensions, his passage, his changes. But those things, those were difficult for his body. And I, you know, if I pushed it too hard, he just panicked because he couldn't figure out how to use his body. It's never him saying, no, I, no, piss off because I don't want to. It was, no, I don't know what to, I can't do that. Right. And now, He's coming nine soon and he's really getting confident in that stuff. And then he's going, oh, I can do that. Why, you know, I can do that. <laughs> so it's so interesting what each horse develops differently. Yeah. And, and when they start to say no, I mean, sometimes it's because, because the rider spoils them and there's no <laughs> doubt that some amateurs spoil them. The horse says, I don't think I want to the first time. And the rider says, well, okay. And back to <laughs> That's a different thing. Uh -huh. But when, you, when you've got a horse that you're training and all of a sudden they say, no, I can't, then you have to look at, well, maybe I didn't do this incrementally enough. Maybe I didn't explain things well enough. Maybe he's not strong enough. Maybe he doesn't have enough suppleness to be able to use his body like that yet. So that you have to break it down a little bit more for them. So do you have any favorite exercises or specific type of work that help, you know, that, that you go to? Even though, you know, as you explained, every horse is an individual, but do you have some common, some common yes. found <laughs> works a lot? <laughs> yes. No, this is, and this is common. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter which type of horse that you're dealing with. Um, uh, you know, I said they're all individuals, but this is where almost all my training comes in is in transitions. So you said a favorite exercise. I went, favorite exercise. It, that this, how I do transitions, totally depends on the individual. But transitions is where we develop um, almost all of our horses' rideability and strength and confidence and the, the ability to really ride the horse 
from the hind leg to the bit and be able to recycle it in front is riding the transitions. And um, so what we first do, you know, when they're young is we have to be clear and separate the hand and leg. You first have to, they have to be prompt to go from your leg and they have to be prompt to woe from your hand. Like that's just that promptness and that understanding is a precursor to anything. The, in, in particular, the go and not that, then you have to have the trainer or the rider be good about not using much leg and using leg when they use leg, actually having it mean something and having it always mean something instead of just, you know, be there and be a girth on the horse. So that's super important. Once you have woe and go, then you start to work on, and you can, once you have woe and go means you can always do a prompt transition. If you cannot do a prompt transition, then you're not going to do a good transition and your, and your transitions are not going to work for you. But if you can do prompt, then we always do what I call a developing transition, meaning that you're trying to develop quality through the transitions and we, we can work on the transitions with the horses to develop on de develop their suppleness their strength and better balance and that's dressage that's developing yeah. the horse athlete all transitions count towards this exercise and that means you know it can walk halt walk counts if you do them well and you train the horse how to step forward supple promptly over the back and in balance, you've just scored and you're just training this horse positively, walk, halt, walk. Um, that's between the gates. That's an example of a transition between the gates, but transitions between collected trot to medium trot to collected trot, same idea. Transitions within the exercise. So you're doing a shoulder in and you're going, well, the horse is not quite through enough and I can't quite balance them well enough. So then do a trot, walk, trot within the shoulder in. Um, do a trot halt trot within the shoulder in it really makes things I mean that's a more advanced exercise but we need to be able to have that kind of communication with the horse these transitions um, well they really test how rideable your horse is how they're letting the aids through their body they test the timing and the feel of the rider's aids because if the rider you know the horse could be going, I wish I could do it, but you're not doing it at the right time. Yeah. You know, it tests how the rider can feel and apply the aids. Um, they teach the horse to step with their hind legs over the back into the rider's hands and be able, like I said, recycling the energy instead of, this is how, this is how we get more impulsion and more quality to the gates instead of just propulsion where the horse just goes forward or you know, you start to add impulsion, even in a downward transition where you can coil up the spring um, instead of just, whoa. So the, the transitions are where it's at, man. Yeah. And there's whole, they're, within any exercise, we can be working on transitions. Right. So um, then over time, you know, you've been, you've, you've been doing this for a while now. So what do you think has made you be so as successful as you've been? Um, um, well, I learned from, I think what's made it two things. I pride myself on being a good horsewoman. Um, I learned it's all about 
reading the individual horse, being able to deal with the individual horse and manage the individual horse. So I learned from an early age how important horsemanship and the management is. Like I said before, I'm a pony club A and that is not just about riding. That is so no. much. It is, you have to, and you have to do it really, really, really well. Yep. Um, my mom was an amazing horsewoman. She, and she learned from so, so many of the, I mean, she was a dressage person, obviously, but she also learned in her younger days from Ray Hunt, an amazing mm. uh, horseman in other disciplines. So she taught me so much about being a horse person. Um, and I would say the other thing that has led me to be successful is that I learned how hard you have to work from a young age. Um, I was lucky to live on a farm, but I was up early, early in the morning, feeding, mucking out, turning out horses, managing those horses. Nobody took care of the horses. I did. Um, I do not know one successful rider and not one successful rider who is also not, who's not a hard worker. I don't know one successful rider, trainer out there that is not also a very good horseman or horsewoman. Mm -hmm. So there's, I don't think there's such a thing as somebody who's a really good, successful rider who just gets handed the reins. So what I'm saying here is it's not just about having the finances to be able to do it. That's for sure. I know that for sure. <laughs> it's, it's horsemanship and hard work. And then, you know, hopefully a little bit of talent in there. <laughs> you have to have some talent. There's no getting around that. And um, so, you know, so horses are obviously the vast majority of your life, but is there something else that you enjoy or what's something that people might not know about you that you'd be willing to share? Um, well, probably anybody who's been on Facebook probably already knows this about me, but it's, if not, I, I love to travel. Um, lucky enough that I've been a lot of places with horses around the world, but you know, the, when you're with the horse and I've always, whenever I travel around the world with my horse, I am the groom. I'm the one who flies with them. I'm the one who grooms them. I'm with them 24 seven. So I don't really get to see a lot of the rest of the world <laughs> and traveling in the back of a truck from Holland to Spain as, um, you know, with your horse when they're chewing and dropping hay and water all over you. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's how I saw a lot of the world, but I love to travel. And now I'm making it very important that we get out, my husband and I get out and see the world and see interesting places. I want to go to all seven continents before I get too old to be able to be an adventure traveler. Um, I, we love to just go someplace, stay there and walk, wander, do you know drive we don't do tours or anything like that we just love to see the world so that's probably that's the other thing that I adore do you uh do you have a favorite place so far that you've been I would I, that's a hard one to say <laughs> um we've been to we've been to every different part of Italy we've been there seven times and and just like I said we don't want to travel all over we want to go to a place and then figure out feel a little bit like a local so Italy's 
I could say that. Great Britain, I love. But there's other places. I've been to Africa and it's amazing. It's just amazing. So I want, like I said, it's hard to say what's my favorite. There's so many. This past year has been hard for you then, huh? (laughs) Oh, so hard. So hard. Um, And this year, again, we had had plans to go when we had to cancel our trips last year. I had plans to go to Britain this spring because the good time for me to travel is right after season. Sure. I had to just cancel them because of COVID's Mm -hmm. not getting very fast. Yeah. But now I'm in the midst, right now I'm in the midst of planning um, a driving trip up the the west coast of the United States. And I'm so excited about that, just learning about the little places to go and the amazing scenery. So we're we're gonna stay in the United States this time. So that's a good thing, one good thing about COVID, right? Is that I can I we get to see more about where I live. Yeah, and there are some certainly some beautiful places to visit here as well. <laughs> yeah. Yes, many, many. And they get forgotten. So that's a good that's the benefit. Good. What has been the hardest part of this sport for you? Um, for me, the hardest part of this sport, and I think there'll be a lot of people that, that will agree with me, um, it wasn't talent and it, I had that and it wasn't hard work. I worked really hard. It was the financial aspect. Mm. Choosing to do horses and choosing to do horses at a high level has a, you know, it's very, very expensive, as we all know. So coming from um, not from uh, family money and not from, you know, I've always been a little bit envious of people who had amazing sponsors, but I'm, I'm much, I'm 58 now. I'm good with that. Um, The financial aspect was the hardest thing for me. And I was lucky enough um, one of the things I did is go back to university and get a master's degree because I had decided it was too hard to ride as a professional and live and eat at the same time. So I went back and did my graduate work and got work as a university professor, actually. And then, then I got good enough to make a living as a professional. And making a living though is still a different thing than affording to go over to Europe and compete over and and all of that. Like trying to fly a horse over to Europe is outrageously expensive. So I was lucky to get married to a husband who said, oh honey, what (laughs) you can just spend all your money on flying your horses over to Europe. um, and we did without, like, we didn't get our first, uh, our first little old abandoned house until we were almost 40 years old, 42. Yeah. So we did a lot, we did a, without a lot in order for me to pursue this silly ambition of mine. Um, and then of course, now I'm really lucky and really grateful to the sponsors who helped me keep my horses going. Like, I, you know, I have a bunch of very nice, wonderful corporate sponsors like SmartPak and, and uh, CU at X and Hiking high Feeds. I don't know if I want to mention them all. I don't know if you want me to mention them all, but they have been, they're a lifesaver. They yeah. enable me to keep my horses. They enable me to keep my horses really well managed 
and really well taken care of. And that is not an easy task. And I know a lot of people will be feeling the same way. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah. it's expensive on any level, <laughs> really. Yeah, yeah, no, we didn't pick the, we, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there are cheaper, there are cheaper ways to spend, you know, other ways to spend your money, that's for sure. Exactly, so I'm, I'm really forever grateful to have been brought up on a family farm. It was not fancy, but I had my horses in my backyard. And then, um, then now that I managed to get this done and I'm still doing it and, you know, we're not retiring anytime soon. Right. So <laughs> we're still have to work pretty hard, yep. you know, to make this happen, but it is a labor of love and I wouldn't change it. Sure. Well, that's, I think that's, that's a common thread among, among horse people. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I, and I do hope that, 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 that knowing that doesn't stop people. I really hope that, that so many of these young people will put up with that sacrifice to develop, to go with their ambition and their desire and this, this um, amazing life that we have. Yeah. Well, I, I do want to thank you for taking some time today to talk with us. It's been an absolute pleasure to get to know you a little bit better and hear, hear some of your stories. Um, I, you know, and I, I look forward now, now we know who you've got coming along so we mm -hmm. can hopefully follow your journey a little bit. Thank you. I'm really excited and I'm super excited about, um, heading over to England again next year with Wesley. He'll be ready to get pushed by the master. Yeah. Well, we'll, uh, we'll have to check back with you and, and, and get a progress yeah. report. Okay. <laughs> thank you, Stephanie. All right. Thank you so much. I do appreciate it. Thanks again to Shannon Duick for speaking with us today. And thanks also to our episode sponsor, SmartPack. Visit them at smartpackequine.com for all your horse and rider needs. Thanks for listening to the Dressage Today podcast. If you've missed any episodes or to subscribe, go to Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Learn more and read in-depth training articles at dressagetoday.com or you can visit our subscription video site ondemand.dressagetoday.com. Be sure to give us a follow on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. Happy riding, and we'll see you at X. The Dressage Today podcast is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of Equine Network, LLC.